I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So, Sean. Yes. Why are you late today? I am late because the elevator at the Woody Ghost Station uh, decided not to work today. So I missed two trains in the time it took me to realize that there was a second elevator and I was brought to the second elevator and up and onto the platform for a way later train than I anticipated. Okay, when that first elevator is broken, can you explain why the second elevator is important? I use a power wheelchair, which means that I really have no other option. So when it's not available, I'm pretty much stuck. Hey, I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. And that is Sean Togood. Sean has been part of the Doc Project team for the past few months. He joined us as an intern, and he has nailed it. He's hardworking, funny, creative. Sean takes a commuter train to work every day. It's always the same one, and he is always on time, early even. Unless the elevator to the platform is broken, and he's sitting in his wheelchair, stuck. But as much as I might like to call out the train station for having a broken elevator, I also need to look at us. I am fully aware that when you come here, when you join us for work, it is not automatically all better. Thinking back to day one, yeah, what was the first thing that you were like, well, this isn't going to work? Well, the... Buttons on the doors outside are quite sticky, so it takes a lot of force for me to open them. And also, the button to get into uh, the Doc Project office, the door closes really quickly. So I would only have like three seconds to hit the button and then race through the door. And it's like... Those weren't even the ones that I was thinking of. And that's just getting to your desk. The one you know, I thought of, I was thinking of when you pulled up to your desk and it was, you couldn't get under it. The desk was too low. Oh, see, I even forgot that that had happened. I think I'm just used to having to change plans and uh, navigate around that stuff. But now I think I'm just used to it so it doesn't occurred to me that it's happening. We got Sean's desk raised, and we got building management to change the timers on the doors so they stopped pinning him. And for his part, Sean is endlessly forgiving. But these inconveniences, injustices, design that ranges from thoughtless to flat-out hostile, through all of it, Sean is patient. 
But there is one place where his patience has run out, where Sean is determined to make a change. His home. Home is where I, I would like to just go home and be able to relax. But my house is not as accessible as it should be. So we have small doorways. We have a porch lift. It's an elevator at the back of my house, which most times doesn't work in the winter. So that's fun. So then my mom has to lift me out of my chair, carry me up the rickety back steps into the house in the winter with ice. So That's a nightmare, Sean. Yeah. If it was to be better, what would your dream apartment look like? I go up the elevator and I open the door and all the counters are high enough for me to get under and the computer table is adjustable and my bedroom as I turn the corner has a ceiling lift in it for the personal support workers to easily get me in and out of bed. I have a little hook on the wall for my headset for my audio dictation software. I go down to the lobby. There's a support worker there who I know on a first name basis and he knows my routine and the things I need. It's a place where I feel comfortable, a place where I can relax. Sean is going to take it from here. It's 7.35 a.m. and I'm waiting at the Whippy Go station. It is a trip I've grown accustomed to. It's a place where I daydream about the life that I one day want to have. But it's also a place where some of my frustration bubbles to the surface. See, I'm a radio broadcaster. And right now, I'm working at the CBC in Toronto. I love the city, its energy, the noise. And in the media industry, Toronto is where the action is. But my house is in Whitby, 45 minutes outside of the city. Commuting to school in Etobicoke for the last few years took me two hours each way, every day. I'm 26 years old, and I still live with my mom. Hey, Mom, what is the best part of living with me? I love your sense of humor, so you make me laugh. It's a tough question. What's the best part? Because they're all fantastic, right? Well, yeah. My life would be totally different if I didn't know the mom I have. She's taught me so much about being independent, and I'm lucky to have her. She gets me up every morning. I'm a pretty high-maintenance person, but not by choice. 
I have cerebral palsy, which means I need a lot of support. I use a power wheelchair. Although the government provides support from a personal support worker six hours a week, my mom has to take care of me the rest of the day. Right now, she has to toilet me, wash me, cook for me, clothe me. She's my driver. And so it sort of shapes everybody's schedule. It's always about, you know, what do you need and how can we sort that out and how can we make sure that those things are in place for you? Like, I know people are more than willing to do that, but, you know, sometimes I feel bad regardless if I should or not. We get along great. But moving out is something we've talked about. I know I was itching to get out of my house when I was your age. I mean, I think it's just such a natural part of everyone's development. We've done all we can to make my house accessible. But still, getting through doorways is tough. The bathroom is tiny. The porch slip breaks down in the winter. Plus, my house is pretty crowded these days. It's me, my mom, my aunt, my grandma, one cat, one dog. It's a lot. I would love to leave the nest, but it's not just about me getting my act together. My whole life, nothing has been straightforward. We've been going through bureaucratic red tape for ages. My mom and I have always had to advocate to get my needs met. There were times when I felt like I had to go fight the system and convince the educators that you were not an afterthought and that, you know, that you would get as much value educationally out of participating in various activities. So it was really just a question of creatively figuring out what that was going to look like. The last time I tried moving out didn't exactly go well. Let me tell you a little story. It was when I lived in residence at Brock University, a school I picked specifically because of the support I was promised. But multiple nights, I had to sleep in my chair when no one showed up to my residence to help me into bed. So I really didn't have a choice. It was due to what they called budgetary constraints. They said they didn't have the money to allocate the hours that I needed. Although we've always wanted me to be able to move out, it never seemed possible. The costs of finding a full-time personal support worker and retrofitting an existing apartment on top of the cost of living in Toronto, just isn't tenable. But a couple years ago, my mom stumbled on something we'd never heard about before. This thing popped up on my online search, and I thought, that is a brilliant idea. My mom had found the Center for Independent Living Toronto, or... C-I-L-T. It's an organization which helps people with disabilities gain access to support 
in their homes and support in accessible housing units. When I first looked over their website, it seemed like a utopia. I could be placed in fully accessible public housing, some with 24-7 on-site support for people with a range of disabilities, a place where I could finally flourish in my creativity and independence. There would be rolling bathrooms, wide doorways, height-adjustable tables, and fondue night every Tuesday. Well, maybe not the last one, but that's what it felt like. Supportive housing sounded like a dream. I thought it just sounded like the perfect opportunity for somebody who needs help with some of the practical requirements of day-to-day living, but who just wants to live independently. We immediately filled out all the paperwork and applied. But it did, you know, I did get the impression that the waiting list was going to be pretty long. Somebody had told you that it would be about two years? Two years. Yeah. And clearly... It's been longer. Yeah. We applied in the fall, three and a half years ago. So this fall, it'll be four. I go down the hall to my apartment. I see it. It should be just here. But as I race towards it and try and open the door, it's locked. AC here. Coming up, Sean investigates. Why has it been four years? If you want to see where he's currently living with his mom, grandma, dog, cat, about a million plants, head to our Instagram. Follow us. We are at CBC The Doc Project. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I get it. There are a lot of people in my position. I'm looking for accessible housing in the midst of a housing crisis in Toronto. Plus, this stuff is complicated. I submitted an application to the Attendant Service Application Center, a program administered by CILT. This application center puts me on a waiting list for supportive housing that's both an accessible living space and attendant services in that space. CILT told me this application center manages the waiting list, but does not provide the housing itself and does not determine who receives housing and has no authority over service providers. All of which leaves me in a bit of a pickle. Hello, 
You've reached the general inquiry inbox at the Attendant Service Application Center. Please leave a voicemail. Hi there. My name is Sean Tolgood, and I am on the list for housing. I was wondering if you might be able to tell me the status of my application and uh, where I am on the list. Uh, you could call me back. I have no idea how long my wait for supportive housing will be. I reached out to CILT for an interview, and they sent me this email. For each vacancy, there is a pool of applicants who meet the basic criteria. Applicants within that pool are contacted by the service providers for vacancy interviews. When there is a vacancy, there will be a pool of applicants who meet these criteria, and each time the criteria differ, so it is impossible to predict when someone will be in the vacancy pool in advance. Supportive housing is long-term for the folks who live there, and therefore vacancies occur rarely. Someone must move out for another person to enter supportive housing. Turnover is very low as a result. You know how kids are always asking, are we there yet on long road trips? That's how this feels. Traffic is beyond the scope of the driver's knowledge or control. And yet, the answer, we'll get there when we get there, isn't the answer anyone is looking for. Something like, it should take 30 minutes, but it could take up to an hour and a half, at least provides an anchor. For the last three and a half years, the only information I've been getting has been some version of, we'll get there when we get there. I have no idea where I am on that list, or how much longer the rush hour wait could be. So it's hard then for you to like plan your life and figure out, should I take that contract in Sudbury for five months? Or will they call me in the middle of it and I'll have to either turn down a place and then be back on the waiting list for another five years, or... Or just not take the job in the hopes that they'll get the call, which may or may not come. So, is my uh, is my laundry good for tomorrow? <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I have to go go put stuff in the dryer. I want to know more than just where I am on the list. I need to understand why this system has so much backlog. I figure. Someone more familiar with the system might have a better idea of why these waits are so long, and if I can do anything about it. It's a system that we know it's broken for all different types of populations, but it's definitely broken for folks with disabilities. This is the social worker who's tried to help me navigate the system. We're not including her name to protect her relationships with clients and organizations. These relationships are crucial because often she's the only one advocating for her clients. Many people seeking housing are already in precarious situations and uh, they need someone to help them sort some of that out, to coordinate and to support them through a system that sometimes isn't all that responsive. Like me, 
the social worker is convinced that my focus on assisted housing makes sense. Over the course of her career, she's seen firsthand how vital housing is for the disabled community. Housing is health. There's so many studies that have been done on that. Social connectedness, uh, social cohesion, the ability to contribute to society, physical health, mental health, all of those needs won't follow unless someone is properly housed. The need for housing just isn't being met. In my email from CILT, they agreed. They said, overall, there is a lack of new accessible housing being built. Because the system is groaning under the weight, sometimes people are housed in places that aren't really appropriate for them. I've seen young people in, you know, going into nursing homes. I've seen people like, and it's because the system is sometimes very chaotic. Not only is it not proactive, but there's no forward thinking. It's like the system is dealing constantly in crisis. And that's not a really good place to deal at all because if you're constantly dealing in crisis, you don't really have time to look inward at the system. That's right. So I asked her why she thinks they won't give me a straight answer about where I am on the list. I think sometimes they're not giving you a straight answer because they don't know. Yeah, lots of people give up. They, they, they stop trying. Sitting in the hallway, outside the locked door, I realize that if I'm not going to find out where I am on the list, then I need to at least know that these accessible apartments are really what I imagine them to be, so that I know that the wait will be worth it. Legend has it that these utopian accessible housing units not only exist, but are filled with people. I wonder what their lives are like. Are you in the building or outside the building? Ah, uh, we're in the building right now. Meet Adam Cahoon. Sounds good. After reaching out to a lot of people and organizations, Adam got in touch with me. He's a disability advocate and artist living in Toronto and agreed to give me a tour around his place. When we arrived, I learned that not only does Adam live in an accessible apartment, but so does his fiance. Hey, babe. Jennifer. You have to be very patient at times. We go to her apartment, right next door to Adam's first. You have to get used to repeating yourself a lot. I've navigated the the system, and it can be a little tough at times. Yep, us too. Uh, This apartment with this is slightly more homely than my apartment, you'll find my apartment. Homely means something completely different. Okay, homey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Homey. <laughs> do you want me to move, honey? Yeah. Or do you want to move? Hold on. Even in this accessible apartment, it's still difficult to navigate three wheelchairs 
into position for an interview. Could you tell me how long you've been living in this building? Yeah. We moved in, in on June 21st, 2016. Yes, we did. Yeah. But it was right after the Panam Games were over. Adam and Jennifer hit the jackpot. Their apartment was built as part of the Athletes Village for the Parapanam Games in 2015. This kind of development isn't happening again anytime soon. All right, so did you want to go over to my apartment? Yes. All right. You guys have a nice day. Thank you again. Oh, you're very welcome anytime. So this is my apartment, and I'm going to quickly try and call the lounge to see. Alexa, call lounge. Calling lounge. Hey, it's Adam in 307. I would like to use the urinal again. All right, thanks. As you heard, I just... Call for an attendant. Somebody is on on the way. I'm looking around and you have a heightened table. Yeah, I can just wheel in anywhere I want. Gave me a lot more independence around my room. It's a great desk and I'm a little bit jealous of this desk right now. I'm spoiled. These are some of the nicest. Apartment. This bathroom is yeah. glorious. And I was big. As I said, I was jealous of his desk, and now I'm a little bit jealous of the size of this bathroom. What has living here really meant for you in terms of how your life is, has changed? Well, I actually grew up in a small town of 6,000 people when the wheelchair transits basically stopped at 5 p.m. I really wasn't able to um, get out and be independent. Independent living in an apartment in general, it lets you actually create totally your own lifestyle, you get to do what you want. You're, you're deciding what you want to eat, what you want to watch on TV, how late you want to stay up, and it's not really governed by your family. There's not these people that are still secretly in the back of their mind treating you like a little kid. I get that a lot. I asked Adam what he thought I should do to give myself a better chance of getting noticed and getting a spot in one of these buildings. Right now, to a lot of these organizations, you are just a name. You aren't an actual person. It's sort of like if you applied for a job and just send in your resume, where if you actually called them up and gently gave a push and let them know who you are. For some of these organizations, that actually helps get you a bit of a push. It's a good idea. But though this worked for Adam, there is no way of guaranteeing that it would work for me or anyone else. And here's the deal. 
Well, I think persistence is key. It seems that once again, it is my responsibility to advocate for my basic needs. And while I'm used to doing this, and it's fine, it's also really tiring. What do you love most about living right downtown in the city? I am a road warrior, and on the nice sunny days, like I can wheel through the whole downtown. And my favorite art sculpture is right outside our window. That's all these street lights that are just put all together. It's one of those things that's actually really neat at night to see it when it's all lit up. It's like a secret jewel that only I'm gonna be seeing. And it's one of those secrets that you can only find in the city, right? Sitting with Adam, looking at the sculpture, how far he's come since the small town he grew up in, and how far I have left to go hits me full force. There's an energy here that you don't get where I live. The view is vibrant. As I ride back to Whippy from Adam's apartment, I feel like the life I know I want is more tangible. It almost feels within reach. I haven't found a place yet, but I do have a better sense of how this system works now, and that makes me feel like I've gotten a bit closer. I also know I'm not alone in my struggle. I'm daydreaming again. It's a Friday. I've come home from work after a quick commute and I wheel out onto my balcony and look out at the city lights. I'm home. Sean Togood. That Doc was produced by Sean with Jess Shane. It was edited by Julia Poggle. To see photos of Sean and his mom and their dog, head to our website, cbc.ca slash docproject. There you can also see inside Adam's apartment, Sean's dream home. High desks, wide doors, it's a beautiful thing. The Doc Project is produced by Julia Poggle, Allison Cook, and me. Althea Manassin is our digital producer. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren. Sean Togood was our intern and potential employers. He's looking for a job. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.